Welcome to the Feather Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome everyone to the Feather Desert. Today we're going to do a part two of bird feeding myths. Because there are so many myths and misinformation about bird feeding that we wanted to continue discussing some of these myths. And this is going to be part two of our series, Bird Feeding Myths. And Cheryl is here with me today, as always. And she's going to start us off with our first myth. Yes, I have the first one. If birds don't find your feeder right away, take it down and move it until they find it. Okay, this is false. Um, you, We get this question all the time. All the time. And it, it is a concern. Um, people come in, they're excited about their uh, bird feeding and the experience, and um, we get a little impatient. So at um, we do get this question at WBU Mesa store all the time, and our best answer is patience, patience, patience. And like I was just leading into, we know this is a frustrating answer. But it can take two to four weeks for birds to find a feeder. And the best thing to do is to leave it in one place. Yep. Even if you already are feeding bird, <coughs> excuse me, feeding birds in your yard, it will, <coughs> it will take time for the birds to figure out what the new item is. Exactly. And it only takes one bird. You have to remember that birds need to make sure something isn't a predator or some sort of death trap before they move in to try it. Leaving the feeder in one area with in one area with only half the amount of food in it, so the feeder only half full, will give the birds time to adjust to it, and one bird will eventually be brave enough or hungry enough to check it out, and then the others will follow. Yep, that's all it'll take. Okay, and Kirsten's got a new one. Yes, this is a new one myth that has really just kind of popped up everywhere. And this is about the hummingbird houses that are all over Facebook and Instagram and the internet. Everywhere you look on social media, they'll use those, right? No, definitely not. Hummingbirds are not cavity nesters. So these advertisements are just to get your money, I guess, is what they're doing. And the, yeah, the little houses are kind of cute, but the hummingbirds will certainly not use them. Hummingbirds actually make their own open cup nests every year, and they use materials found outside held together with spider webs. These hummingbirds, once again, are ingenious. So the nest will actually expand as the two chicks grow, keeping them nice and snug inside. So it's kind of like wearing a little seatbelt in your nest. And it's just... That's very clever. It's beyond clever. Hummingbirds, every time you find out something about them, they just blow your mind. Yeah. These tiny little birds are capable of so much. So most hummingbirds will actually nest twice a year, and they will make a new nest each time because that nest expands. So once those two, if this is their first nest, once that those two chicks have fledged, then the nest is big and fat. They can't put eggs in there and keep the little tiny chicks, once they hatch out of the egg, nice warm. and snug, yeah. right, and warm. So they have to make a brand new nest. So the best way that we can help our hummingbirds nest is by offering organic, unprocessed cotton uh, for them to use to line their nests. And then if you have spider webs around in your yard or on your porch, don't knock them down. Just leave them alone during nesting season. 
because um, that's also insect season as well. The spiders will be helping you by catching some insects before they go into your house. And you'll also be leaving some webbing up for the hummingbirds to use. And sometimes they'll steal a small little insect to eat as well, which also makes their lives a little bit easier. This actually is a myth twofer. Uh, so we're going to talk about something else that's kind of a myth as well. Well, it is a myth. Many people come into the store and see our, our organic cotton that we offer for nesting season. We have them in little balls, and then we have them in a grid, and that's our WBU Mesa store. And they say, oh, I don't need that. I'll just use the lint from my dryer. Well, then we kind of say, oh, that's not the best source of nesting material for birds because of the chemicals that we use in our laundry detergent. Even if you're using a plant-based laundry detergent, still it's got chemicals in it that our birds don't need to be exposed to. And of course your dryer sheets. So we don't have our clothes all stuck to each other. <laughs> like that commercial that always makes me laugh with the socks stuck on the shirt when they pull it out of the jar. Those dryer sheets have little chemicals um, that will get into the lint and those, if you leave that out and the bird uses it, what's going to happen is it can harm the baby bird's skin, it can harm their eyes, and it can get into their lungs. Yes. And we don't want that to happen. So the best way to do that is to get some sort of organic, unprocessed cotton uh, and leave that outside uh, hanging somewhere, and they'll take that. Yes. Also, we have a lot of horse people around here. If you have horses... Um, you'll notice sometimes bird nests near you are going to have horse hair woven in there. So if you go out and you brush your horse, you haven't put any kind of um, uh, straight, not straightener, but a detangler on their mane or their tail, and just take that out of your brush and leave it outside and the birds will take it. Or a fluffy dog. Yeah, fluffy dog. Also, uh, once again, if you haven't used any um, shampoo on him right yeah. before you brush him, um, then yeah, you can leave that stuff outside and they'll use that as well. I put my cat hair out there. Yeah. These are indoor cats, so I've stuck it out there. And I've actually seen, I haven't seen any hummingbirds use it, but the little sparrows will use it. Nice. Yeah, anything yeah. fluffy will, will be uh, nice. Another note with dryer lint is that it doesn't dry like cotton does. It holds water, so it makes the nest heavy so the eggs can fall. Yeah. Through there. Definitely so not it's want really that. not a good product. Yeah. So if you want to help out those hummingbirds, save your money and don't get those box don't nests. Don't buy a house. Right? Don't yeah. buy a house. No. And come in to our store. And we'll help you find something that'll work just well. Yes. All right. Cheryl's got one more for us today. Okay. It's um, it's okay to feed the birds old food because they'll eat anything. Oh, my gosh. This is false. And actually, this is good because I just had this experience on Monday with a customer. Birds are picky. If food gets stale, they will turn their beaks up at it. That's very true. Yes. They, don't, they don't like to eat stale food. Do you? I mean, who likes to eat stale bread? Blech. Remember, our feeders are a supplemental food source for them when they want it or need it, and they get most of their food from nature where it is fresh. They never forget how to be wild and how to forage. They're a wild bird. It's in them. They will not eat old seed that's been sitting around in a feeder for months or stored in a garage with extreme temperature swings. Also, you don't want to offer food that has gone moldy because that can be de detrimental to a bird's health. Eating spoiled food can make them sick or kill them, and it can make you or your pet sick as well. Yeah. A great way to keep food fresh is to store it in an airtight container in a laundry room or pantry and only put out as much food as your birds will eat <laughs> in four or five days. Right now, it's one day at a time. Pretty much, yeah. If you notice they've slowed down for the season, don't fill the feeder up completely. During monsoon season, this is important because we are supposed to have a significant monsoon this this year. 
supposedly, if you believe the weatherman. Well, let's hope. <laughs> it's important to keep a close, close eye on enclosed tube feeders with seed because the increased humidity can encourage mold growth quickly. If the seed gets soaked, get rid of it. If it's a light sprinkling, check the food by shaking the feeder. If the food moves easily and is not clumped, it's okay. When the forecast calls for multiple days of rain, take the feeders down until we have sunny skies. Again, um, in Arizona, that's not too long. No, <laughs> not at all. This, this also goes for hummingbird feeders. So this is where my experience on Monday comes in. Leaving old food in a hummer feeder can mean death for your adored hummingbirds. During our cooler seasons in the fall and winter, when we're in the 60s, it's okay to leave a feeder out for up to five days. Bacteria doesn't grow well in colder weather, but we recommend cleaning it in between fillings with hot water and plant-based soap. Use your small port brush to get into the feeding ports to clean it exceptionally well. In spring and summer when temperatures rise, you need to clean the feeder more frequently. In the 80s and lower 90s every two to three days is best and with a, with a full cleaning at least once a week. When we are 95 and above, Note, 95 and above, we need to offer fresh, clean nectar every day. Yeah. You have to be committed. At these temperatures, bacteria can grow in a day, and if the Hummer eats the bacteria, it grows in their crop until they can no longer eat, and they will starve to death, which is just horrible. It's terrible. And we don't want that. So it does take commitment in the summer to keep your feeders up. It is especially devastating during nesting season when mom brings food back to their to their feed her chicks, if she has bacteria in her crop, it easily tra is transferred to her chicks and they will also eventually starve as the bacteria grows in their crops. If replacing the food every day is too much work for you, take your feeders down during the hottest part of the year. The hummers have plenty of food in the wild they can eat. Another tip is to only fill your feeder halfway to save your nectar. Hummers have long tongues and can reach down into the bottom of a feeder with no problem. So I had a customer come in to the WBU Mesa store on Monday afternoon, and he wanted to, um, a hummingbird feeder for a lazy um, person. Oh, because he did not want to fill it and oh, clean it goodness. as often as it needed to. And I said, you're better off taking your feeders down because there is no feeder for a lazy person when it comes to hummingbirds. Yep. The best thing to do for a lazy hummingbird feeder is to plant native plants. Yes, which I suggested. Yes, yes. and then you don't ever have then to change them. you don't them. have to worry about it. But no, you have to be committed. And if you're not committed, then we recommend that you not put the feeder up, like yeah. we stated. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want to get them sick. That's the whole reason that we feed them is that we think they're adorable and we love them and we want them to be near us. But we certainly don't want to contribute to their deaths. No. So in closing, we do hate to end on such a sad note, but we know that this is important information and that all of you that listen to our podcast love your wild birds. So we know that you guys want to do the right thing to help them survive. So by us giving you this information, hopefully you pass it on to your neighbors and the other people in your lives and uh, the people that you care about. And hopefully we get all this information out to the right people and we can do everything and we birds can. prosper. Yep. And the birds prosper. So we are going to do a plant spotlight this episode, and this plant spotlight is also going to be a myth-busting discussion, because I just had an epiphany when I was writing this one, and I was like, <laughs> oh, we're going to do this one. So, so clever. 
I, I thought I was super clever with this one. So butterfly bush is a great plant to attract butterflies to my yard. False. That is a myth just cloaked in misinformation. So butterfly bush is also known as Bedelia davidi. Now there are some Bedelias that are native to this country, but the Bedelia davidi, commonly called butterfly bush, is seen in nurseries. It is an invasive plant from China. Now don't confuse this with butterfly weed, which is a type of native milkweed. This is butterfly bush. It is a deciduous shrub that can grow up to 15 feet high. This bush's cone-shaped flowers cluster at the end of the branches and has been cultivated over the years into many attractive, attractive colors such as pink, blue, magenta, purple, and yellow. That's what attracts your eye. As people, we want something that's got that pretty color to it. In nurseries, it is advertised as being a wonderful plant to attract butterflies, and it does attract them. But many of the cultivars have lost any real nutrition in their nectar offerings. So you're giving them a plant that is giving them poor nutrition. And it's also only useful to the adult butterfly. And as you know, if you've listened to any of our other things about pollinators, butterflies have a life cycle where they need to have native plants to eat as host plants. Well, this plant only helps the adult butterfly. So it, it doesn't act as a host plant at all because it's native to China. It is also highly invasive and it grows well in our country. It's not quite as good at withstanding our desert heat here, but I have definitely seen it offered in many different nurseries in this area. And it's always got that picture on it that says, attracts butterflies and really big with a, uh, exclamation points. And it makes you go, oh yes, I want to attract the butterflies. But definitely look close if it says butterfly bush or Bedelia davidi, this is not one that you want. And once this is established in your yard, it will seed after blooming these little cone-shaped clusters of flowers, and which is going to be hundreds of seeds on one branch. And those seeds will spread and they'll continue to grow. And then they'll start choking out any of our native plants that are nearby, which are essential to the butterfly's life cycle. So if this has not deterred you, just telling you how unimportant it is really to our butterflies, there's one last downside that I think will clinch it for you. It clinched it for me when I found out about it. It attracts male Asian mosquitoes who drink the nectar from the flowers. And where male mosquitoes are found, the blood-sucking female mosquito is also found. And I don't know about you, but me, not a huge fan of the mosquito. No. Don't like her. I don't need it. <laughs> no, they can go back in evolutionary time and never be born as far as I'm concerned. So that's the big problem with this one. Besides the fact that we're offering something that's really not useful to our native butterflies, it's going to attract Asian mosquitoes. And the Asian mosquitoes that we have in this country are the ones that are more likely to carry diseases than anything else. So great alternatives to butterfly bush are our native desert marigold, the chocolate flower, the globe mallow, globe mallow sorry, the fire wheel, which is also known as an Indian blanket, and desert milkweed. All of these are both pollinator plants and host plants for our native butterflies. So before you get drawn in by the pretty, I attract butterflies, remember, butterfly bush bad. Read the fine print. Read the fine print <laughs> and look for somebody else like your desert marigold, your fire wheel, what are just as pretty and a little bit better for our area. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening.